Welcome to the Global Marketing Show, the podcast for all things international business. I'm your host, Wendy Pease, president of Rapport International and a translation expert. Come along with me today as we talk to an expert in the global marketing world about facing their biggest fears, hearing about mistakes they made or saw, discussing best practices, and sharing fun travel language and culture stories. Welcome back to another episode of the Global Marketing Show, my friends. I'm very excited today. We're going to talk about some international marketing. We've got some good stories to bring out. But before we get into that, let's remember to thank our sponsor, Rapport International, and they have a tidbit for us today. Many words are the same across languages, but they can have different meanings. For example, in English, if I talk about an angel, it's a heavenly being or somebody watching out for me. But if I say angel in German, it's a fishing rod. So when you're doing global marketing and you're thinking about AI and you think it's going to get away with accurate translation, just be really careful. Even the experts that are saying, oh, we've got 95% accuracy, it can really change the meaning and make you look foolish. So if you ever want to have a free conversation about that, a free consult on what you're doing and whether AI is appropriate, certainly reach out to us. We're happy to talk to you about it. Well, today our guest is Perry Nalevka, and he works with technology marketers to help global B2B technology companies to scale their marketing and meet their goals through inbound marketing. He's got a lot of international experience, so it's going to be very exciting to listen to him today. His company is Penguin Strategy. And he's got a good story about guard knocks, which I'm really excited to hear. I guess I'm very excited today. So, Perry, welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Good, (laughs) me too. Let's have some fun. Yeah, you have a fun shirt on. It says dream, believe, and achieve. For those of you listening, you can't see it, but it's very inspiring to me. So what's it mean to you? Actually, this is a t-shirt I got from a vendor of ours which uh, we work with. And exactly like you said, it's very inspiring. I like wearing it at least once a week if I can. And it gets great comments. And I think it's a great way to live. It's the same way I think that anybody who's brought a company into life, that's really how it is. You have to dream and believe. Otherwise, there's no way you're going to be able to achieve it. It's a it's a hard uphill battle to, to build a company and get results. So there you so go. What's, what are your dreams right now? I think I'm in a good place. I think that I have a good work-life balance. And that was always my dream to get to a place where I really enjoyed what I do and find my passion. Recently, in the last few years, I found a passion in in bike riding. So I guess one of the dreams I have is to spend more time doing that. And you live in Israel, right? That is correct. Just north of Tel Aviv. I'm going way off on a tangent, but I'm an avid mountain bike rider and lover. And so this is the first time I've heard about somebody talking about Israel and bike riding. I usually think of beach and ocean, scuba diving. Yeah. So how's the bike riding? Yeah, well, it's a very interesting country from a terrain perspective, because in a way it's similar to to New Zealand in that in some times of the year, you can go skiing up north and go to the beach down south. Uh, And in between, I think you've got the most... If you're a mountain biker and you like riding singles, you probably have, I don't know the most, but you have a lot of singles per capita 
I've been on 50 or 60 different routes just in the last 24 months and there's still more to discover. It's a tiny country <laughs> that barely, if you look at it in a globe, you can barely find it, right? It's got a lot of different terrains, desert, mountains, good stuff. All right. Israel has always been on top of my list to go to, but now it has really risen. I want to go mountain biking in Israel. Who would have guessed? All right. So penguin strategies. I have heard that companies in Israel think global from the start because the country is small, like you talked about, and they have to think large if they're going to grow a big business. So can you give an example of a company that came to you, wanted to build their brand, and how you helped them think that through. Yeah, and you gave a great introduction. One of the things that's great about here, and some people call it the Silicon Wadi, in that there's a lot of a lot of tech per capita, similar to the mountain biking, <laughs> and a lot of very technically minded people bringing great products to market. One of the weaknesses is when you deal with technical founders is their ability to take it global or just market it outside. It's not a so much, I always say it's not a language barrier, meaning that they English and other languages, it's language from technical to what does your market need to hear. And so we've, we've worked with hundreds of companies. One of the stories we had talked about earlier, which I love, we've been working with them for a better part of the last seven years is a company called Gardnox. And they've, uh, I, I won't bore you with all the details, but they've brought to market a, I think if everybody's all the automation and the autonomous driving that the companies are, are are talking about is the next, you know, the next generation cars or the generation of cars that are coming out are so automated that the fear of someone hacking into it. And so they brought a solution to markets that's coming to solve that. Now they're not the first company to come to solve it and they're not the only company to solve it. But when they came, when they came to market, they were a small 15, 20 person company. And they wanted to be talking to the, the biggest companies in the world, like GM, Mercedes, BMW, you, you name it, which is really hard for a small company that, that doesn't have an international presence. And that's where we came in and trying to find a way to angle their story in order to, A, give them a front of, hey, we're not just, we're not a small company. We're, we're bigger than we look. We've got something great. We've got a story to tell and we can solve your problems. And so one of the first approaches they took and I, I remember it clearly, this is, you know, two years, three years until they're going live, is we took the, their their background story, which is most of the founders had come from the Air Force. And their like website was talked about how they've ticked, you know, this, you know, you, you saw like an F-16 or I think it was an F-15 on kind of taking Air Force technology and bringing it to the automotive industry. So that was kind of a part of the story that they brought for their background, using their background and who they are, bringing you know, kind of this authenticity to tell their story, which I think is a really important part. Companies, sometimes it's very hard for them to embrace that, but that was a great start for them. So you said one of the first stories they did, did they go on to a second story or is that the one that really resonated and took off? So that that resonated. They, they We actually went through two rebrandings with them. That was their first to go to market that we spent about five years getting them out in the market. And they, they were adopted by... You know, it took took time, of course, but they did get adopted by some of these top companies that I mentioned before. Of course, it takes many years to take it to, to to bring a technology into a car, right? There's this safety and and all kinds of you know bells and whistles you have to go through or, or gates they have to go through to get there. But they're they're doing that. Eventually, they wanted to reinvent themselves as they were expanding because they didn't want to just solve one 
problem, which was cybersecurity, they wanted to also talk about more of a control box. And so we've, you know, we're, we expanded there, the message around, around that to where they are today. Okay. So, that, so what was that message? And then where are they today? Okay. So where they are today is that, with the, with that, that change or that, that kind of evolution that they went through is not just protecting the car, but allowing other software or becoming like the software center for the car. So that, that came to the message, what, what, what what we have today, which is like a software-defined vehicle. If you think about, you know, if you think about a car, at least someone of my generation, a car is just a bunch of parts put together. You don't think of it as a as a as a computer, but really that's what it is today, right? It's just another computer, like our phone or anything else we we use. It's 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 another computer, and it's defined. You know, it has tons of software, many different. Whether you know it's your the interface you have, you know, the braking system the you know the gps whatever it might be and they all these things need to work together and so part of their solution is not only protecting it but also allowing the systems to talk to each other efficiently and properly oh that's fantastic okay and is that and where are they now or is that where they evolved so they've evolved yeah so they've evolved into that and they've gone to market they've gone through multiple rounds of funding so their market cap is, is quite large I don't know the number with all the craziness that's going on in the world is probably gone up and down over the last 12, 24 months, uh, but they're doing great. And they go to CES every year and get all kinds of accolades and awards. But uh, this is where, this is the, the story of a small company that's in a small town in the middle of Israel, you know, very removed from so many of their markets, right? If you think about the you know, automotive market, you think, you think, you know, do you think different European countries like Germany and France and maybe, you know, the U.S. and I don't know if Detroit is still a big, big automotive, but like those are the areas where they need to be. This is very far away and different from a, there's different languages. You mentioned languages at the beginning of that, the translations, and that was a big challenge for them as well, because uh, when you market in, in a, you may, and you actually hit it on the head, marketing in Germany is just so much different. It's not just taking your your, your, you know, what you have and uh, translating. I remember going through that process with them many years ago and it's something that goes, you know, not just translating your site, but actually putting, you know, you need a, you know, a PR company that's very specific to that, to that region. It's not, you can't, it's not one size fits all. And so there's a, uh, there's a lot of work that needs to go around localizing, you know, your message. Yes. Or, you know, and then there's, there's differences with companies, but also what we've seen and people bring it to us, our translators are so knowledgeable about the industry. They can make suggestions because they're, they're specialists in global marketing translation, but dig, dig down into that and give me more details of it. You've got a company, you've, you've, you have the message now that you've decided that you want to come to, you know, it's a software center. You want to protect the car, but also make all the systems talk to each other. How did you test that across the different markets or different companies you wanted to target to be able to come up with something appropriate? Right. So there's a lot of different ways that we do that. It depends, but let's talk about them specifically because with them, you're targeting a, a market that's very, very finite, very, very small. If you think about the amount of automotive companies and the automotive in the peripheral there are not very many. There's there's tens. I don't even think there's there's not, you know, thirty or forty, and within those companies there's maybe a, a few hundred. So your total total addressable market or it's like a 
maybe a thousand to 2000 people. So you, you don't want to put out a message there that's going to miss the mark. And so this is, this is not a, a, a place where you can, you know, a lot of companies that have bigger markets can go and A-B test and, you know, the, see, get, put, put some PPC behind it and say, okay, let's see which message works better. That's not going to really work in a, in a market that's so defined. And so we worked with them to build out kind of like a, a forum of people that we can kind of reach out to and test out different ideas, different, different messages. And a lot of these people are engineers in the, in the market that are, that are doing it. And then when we, when we want to talk about their come, come, come out with new ideas, this, these are the, these are the people that we can do some initial bouncing off of. After that, we can then take it to the wider, to the wider markets and, and, and put it out. So that those are, those are things that you need to develop and we, that we worked with them on. Which, which is a great tactic, but it's also something we've, we've done with many companies that have very finite audiences. And, and what languages did you have to adapt those communications? So most of the communication like, was, was centered in English. That being said, the two secondary languages that were really important were German and French. Uh, since there's two, there's two big industries, obviously Germany has the probably the biggest automotive industry, France is second, and then of course, American and UK can, can, are in English, Spain being a distant third. So you you did like all the testing and development in English. And then when you were comfortable that it was going to work across the languages, then you translated it. Exactly. Exactly. And then today, if you go to their website, you can see that the website itself is only in two languages, which is English and, and, and German. Okay, so wait, let's give the website address. Can you spell it out for people? Yeah, it's uh, it's GuardNox. It's the word guard, Knox with a K, K N O X dot com. Okay, so G U A R D K N O X dot com. So if you want to see how they added the translation in, yeah. Good. Sorry, I cut you off. What were you going to say? No, that's that's what I was going to, that's it. So you have it in English and German. Correct. And so the French engineers that would be looking at it, you're assuming that they could read the English or German? Yeah, that's already a company decision to, you know, it's a big investment, obviously, to to, to do the, like you said, they're not going to do it over using just an AI tool and they want to, if, when you're translating something of this nature, which is very technical and very specific, either do it right or don't do it at all. We, right. we learned that early on. I don't remember the exact mistake. I wish I remember the story but, or the anecdotes, uh, but a very similar to what you mentioned at the beginning is that you use, you use the wrong word and the wrong, uh, in, in a translation, it can, you can push something all the way off. And I remember having a communication early on, this is six, seven years ago, so I don't remember the exact story, but I remember that it was something that we we realize that you have to take this more seriously when you're, when you're doing translations. Right. Right. Yeah. Now this is, this has been a fantastic story to share. So I'm so glad that you came on. What do you think some of the mistakes they might've made along the way in their global marketing or developing it? There's the the typical mistake of expecting results too quickly, especially with such a finite market. So, you know, you spend a lot of time thinking about the messaging and the brand and, and putting it up the website. That's not, you know, it's not build it and they will come, right? It's that's <laughs> it's build it and then you still have a lot more work to get them to come and and, and your at your website. And it, it 
I think the the mistake was the the the, the not developing enough content on a, on a regular basis. It's that's been fixed, and there you know there's 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 a ton of very high high quality content out there today. But it, at the beginning, it's hard because the company everybody's really busy, and the people that you need in order to make that quality content are always the busiest people. It's usually the CTO or the founder. You can't make up that 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 content. And a mistake a lot of marketers make, in my opinion, when dealing with this type of a market, when you're selling technology to technology people, is there's this. If you probably heard marketers say this all the time, you need to explain it so your grandmother or your six-year-old can can understand it. Now, if you're an engineer or you're a professional and you're and if someone is delivering you content at at that level, you're not going to take that that content very seriously because you're you're an engineer, you're a PhD, you're you need that content to be yes, it needs to be engaging and interesting, but it needs to be at a level that that you would expect it. And so therefore that's, that's, you know, so it's not enough to have a great content writer here. It's, it's, it's gotta, it's gotta be infused with that, with that added insight, which can only come from the people that are on the floor doing the work that understand the technology. Right. That's such a good point is you need to know your audience, you know, at Rapport International, there's a, there's a edutain. And so content writers can either get it, you've got to be educational, but you've got to keep it light and entertaining. And so defining that voice and who your clients are and how they're going to want to read is so important. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah we had, we had another customer, uh, Saragon, <laughs> they, and, and they do something, you know, super boring. I mean, when you get down to the technology, it's always for somebody that's not in that, it's always going to be boring, but they do some backhaul for for cellular technology, you know, very, very boring stuff. And they were able to, you said, entertain their audience is that they would, they had a very funny product manager. So he knew, well, he was a very techy guy, but he had no problem getting in front of the camera. And he would let, he had these really funny starts to the video where you bring in like a hamburger and like start talking about it. And then they, it would be like, he got a customer call like in the middle and he makes light of it. And then he'd go into the technical so it, it's there just because you have a boring technology doesn't mean you have to you have to be boring. Oh, which is so funny because he gets that tech humor too. So he right. would pull that all in and then capture people's attention. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I, and I can't remember how he compared the, the technology to a hamburger, and it was just <laughs> just kind of. I remember he shot that; it was really funny. But you know that, mm-hmm. that that's the type of thing that you you you, you still. As a marketing, you still have there's so much content out there. You had to cut through the noise, and and that's yeah. you know, those are things you got to do. So, yeah, cut through the noise, make it appropriate, and then localize it so it makes sense. I mean, you're even we're talking about tech people. There's a certain type of humor, and then you have to figure out whether that goes across countries. So, this has been fantastic. Do you have any like recommendations for our listeners if they want to do global marketing, particularly in the the, the area you specialize in? Yeah, I think I think that it's I, I share some some ideas around that along the way as we spoke. But I don't you know I don't I don't want to I don't think there's anything much, you know, anything more different than anything else. It's no like you mentioned, it's know your audience and you it's not one size fits all. So you if if you you know to say the way you market in, in the US is not necessarily to be the way you market in Germany. Or, you know, or this is the way you're going to, and, and usually there's multiple people and, and 
influencers that you're selling into when you're selling into large enterprises. So you might be selling the end user might be an engineer, but you might still need to talk to business. You know, you need to have marketing that talks to the business people to, to, to need help to, to make the business case. So understand that and, you know, and, and, and work towards that. Yeah, that is a good point. I think I told you months ago when we first talked about having you on the podcast that I was going to ask you a question. And I don't know if you remember, what's your favorite foreign word? Wow, I don't, I don't remember you. I, I, yeah, it, was long, it, was, <laughs> it was a long time ago when we, we originally talked. Yes. Yeah, so do you have a favorite foreign word? You know, when I, 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 my grandparents were Hungarian and, you know, they, they always talk, I, I, I didn't really, I didn't understand the language, but they always talked in that language in, in Hungarian. And one, when I was six years old, they took me to Hungary and, and this, this word, it's just stuck in my head. It's called, I think it's called, it's fojloj and that's Hungarian for ice cream. Hopefully I got that right. <laughs> but I, I just, it's like a word that I've gotten Oh, it's been in my head since I'm six years old and I just love the sound of it. And <laughs> so there you go. That is awesome. That is such a great <laughs> word because you know a six-year-old, you know, isn't going to recognize any other words except, oh, foge load. <laughs> yes, I want that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. That's that's what I remember. <laughs> that's all I that's all I would ask for when I was there, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> This is great. Well, Perry, where can people reach you or follow you or find out more information about what you do? What's great about having a unique name and working for a very cute animal company is it's it's fairly easy to find me on LinkedIn, Perry Nalevka. There's really only one in the world. So that that's probably the best way. Uh, anybody connects, I'll, I'll connect with them. They can message me. Penguin Strategies that's spelled as it sounds.com. So, and that's my email also, perry at penguinstrategies.com. Okay. And you spell Perry's last name, N-A-L-E-V as in Victor, K-A. So go look hey. him up on LinkedIn. We'll also put it in the show notes. Well, thank Perfect. you so much for being here, Perry. The story was very, very good. Now I see why I was so excited to hear it. So great advice. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. It was fun. That's a wrap for this session. A big thanks to you for listening to the Global Marketing Show. Hope you had just as much fun as I did. New sessions launch weekly on all places you find podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and of course on our website. If you know someone interested in this topic, please tell them about us. Au revoir for now.